0: Welcome to Neighborly, The Secret Society, House Number 12, Little Street. Residents of House Number 12 are what you could call a seclusive lot. Their operations are top secret to those who aren't listening, and their mission, while simple, is of utmost importance. Few who live on Little Street know of their presence beyond a strange infestation of small, slimy, skittering creatures. It would be unusual to see such a species around the area where Little Street is, but the residents of the neighbourhood don't seem to mind or pay them a second glance as they slither by. In order to understand why these creatures are here, let's have a closer look at number 12 before they arrived. The rickety shack looks seconds from collapse. It can hardly be called a house, squatting between numbers 11 and 13, looking quite as ragged as the former. None reside in it, that's just the way it is. The hinges on the doors are creaking, the windows cracking, the floors are dusty and the pipes are leaking. There is a gathering puddle in one of the corners where the planks of wood have broken and sunk into the ground. It would seem uninhabitable for any human being in their right mind. However, it is perfect for a group of salamanders looking for a place to stay. They come in groups, sneaking through the streets, searching for somewhere to settle their operations. First come the newts. Swimming through the sewers and sliding through the grates, the head newt, Isaac, holds the front, followed by Simon, her right hand. Lastly, Sam picks up the rear and guards them from behind. They are the bravest of the three. They come across the twelfth house and wriggle through a hole in the outer wall. Simon and Sam observe the surroundings of this house for a few days, reporting their sightings and observations to Isaac. Strange noises coming from the house next door, something none could explain a couple of houses down. They make acquaintance with the animals that live on the streets and suspiciously eye the birds watching them from the trees. Finally, the newts reach their conclusion. They will live here for the time being and they will continue to observe and protect this neighbourhood. Having made up their minds, they send representatives back to report to the others. Sebastian and Selina are the next to arrive with their fellow Olms, making their way through the dark sewers with ease, sliding to the surface and settling into the large, flooded corner of the house. The Olms have a very important task, to collect food for the group, and they do their job quite well. There are plenty of spiders and insects that crawl and scurry on the cracks in the wall and across the dusty floors, Plenty of sustenance for the salamanders still set to arrive. The Plethodons, Savannah, Solace, and Stephen, sprint quickly through the grass behind house number 13, slipping under the fence and in through the back door. They swing up to the rafters with grace, attempting to settle there. They come face to face with the newts. The Plethodons and the newts have a minor feud. They argue and squabble over who is more important. The newts are the most dangerous their poison potent enough to kill a fully-grown person. But the Plethadons are the fastest and most agile. Today, this feud comes to light once again as the Plethodons face their foes who have already made their place in the rafters of the old home. The head of the newt steps forward, her eyes fixated coldly on Savannah. We have made our home here, the newt warbles. Find somewhere else to make your comfort... Savannah steps up to meet her and tells Isaac, in no uncertain terms, that the Plathodons would be much more comfortable in the rafters. Now the head of the newts is not one to be trifled with, especially in circumstances such as this. A new base requires a stable system of operation, and the newt resolves that questioning authority will not be tolerated here. How about a challenge? The winner will decide where the other is to live, Isaac suggests. She points to a large fallen piece of wood on the floor. We are three and three, so surely you would be able to flip over that plank of wood as well as we can. Of course we can, Solace speaks out of turn, and so the salamanders scuttle down to the plank on the floor. It's bigger from up close, but the newts aren't scared. They even offer the plethadons the first attempt. Savannah grabs Solace, directing him to the other end while Stephen waits for her instructions. She tells him to get to the middle, but he cannot bear the weight. While the plethodons scramble to work together, Isaac directs her members to get a small stone and another smaller plank. They return to find Savannah, Solace, and Stephen with their heads hung low. We could not turn it, but you cannot either! Isaac directs Simon and Sam to place the plank of wood they collected on the rock and to wedge it under the larger plank. That's cheating, Savannah insists. However, she is incorrect, for the challenge was only to flip the wood with the help of the team. With a larger stone in place on the windowsill... Isaac crawls up to push it over. The lever works as planned, and the plethodons are peacefully defeated. Isaac directs the plethodons to a wooden cabinet in what used to be the kitchen. It seems to be hanging on by a single nail, barely more. Savannah asks how they're supposed to make a safe place in a falling wooden box. The weight of all the plethodons will surely bring it down. You will not fall, Isaac rumbles. You will fix the box, and you won't find safety and comfort inside. Unless you are not capable. The Plathodons irritably garble. Solace raises his voice again. We are keepable, he says. We'll prove it to you. And so the Plethodons scuttle off towards their new dwelling to prepare it for the newcomers. Several weeks pass as the salamanders settle down, more and more coming in by the day. It's getting quite stifling for one in particular, especially with all of the orders Savannah gives him to follow. Stephen the plethodon has had quite enough of this morning in particular, as he has done many a task before the sun had even risen, and Savannah has been satisfied with none of his work. He takes the first opportunity he gets to slip away, scuttling down the street angrily. He swerves around the early rising people's feet, dodging larger rocks and jumping over sidewalk cracks every so often. He isn't paying attention to where he's going, really. Anywhere is better than staying in that stuffy shack for another second. Stephen takes a sharp swerve, scurrying through the grass and enjoying the slight breeze that tickles his back. He opens his mouth to smell the fresh air and catches a whiff of something else. Something good. Stephen had always been one to enjoy the odd scent of human food, even though he never really enjoyed eating it much. It's different. Almost colourful rather than the beigeish tones of bugs and spiders and whatever else those ohms manage to scrounge up out of the nooks and crannies of their abode. It's much different, and as Stephen climbs stealthily up to the window of a much more pleasing house, the saturated tones get stronger and stronger with each flick of his tongue. He peeks his head inside hesitantly to see, well, a human kitchen. It's not much of a surprise, but his gaze drifts to the circular dish set atop a placemat, and the amazing scent coming from what is carefully placed on top. An egg. He knows it. He's always wanted to try one, but he doesn't think he'd enjoy it. It is a terrible feeling to want so badly for something, but to know that you won't like it when you get it. Stephen feels that way often, about human food and other things. Lost in thought and warm smells, Stephen nearly doesn't notice the figure who is passed by the windowsill. He hides quickly, scurrying underneath and placing himself precariously on a ledge. He hears a soft hum and something dropped onto the window before the footsteps of whoever lives in this house seem to go away. Stephen waits for another long moment before slowly sliding back up and peeking his head in. Someone sits at the table, preparing to eat their meal, And there is something on the windowsill. It is a small pile of something crushed up, but Stephen recognises the smell as larvae, the kind he enjoys from those stores the humans go to that seem to have endless amounts of them. Sebastian always scoffs at them, claiming that it's not real food. But Stephen enjoys simple things. Besides, how is he meant to carry a pile of crushed larvae back with him? He can't. So he thinks... He might as well just eat it himself. Hesitantly, he creeps onto the windowsill, flicking his tongue at the pile and darting his eyes back towards the figure every once in a while. He jumps when their hand raises, but they just pick up their fork and begin to eat. Stephen eats as well, content with how his trip is going so far. What he doesn't expect is the figure to turn around, watching him. He freezes in place, staring at this person for a moment before skittering out of the window and back into the grass. What was he thinking? A human had seen him, had fed him, had, well, they hadn't really done anything else, had they? Surely they didn't mean any harm. Stephen decides to keep an eye on this resident. Perhaps it would be for the benefit of the group. Perhaps it would be helpful to have someone a bit larger on their side. Perhaps he'd return again tomorrow. One particularly rainy day, the olms swim happily in their much deeper puddle and the newts nestle calmly under the dry parts of the cracking ceiling. The plethodons have locked themselves away, and all of the salamanders have decided to have a peaceful day inside. Birds often have a difficult time flying in rain, and not many animals are out to talk to. Stephen figures that his new friend's window is closed. Humans don't often enjoy water getting into their houses. Although there was certainly something strange about this one in particular, perhaps he is mistaken. Regardless, the day is grey and the soft sounds of the settlement are simple and pleasing. Everything is set to be a perfectly fine day when three sharp knocks sound at the door. Now, who could that be, rapping so heavily on the tilted door of a place where no one lives? The Olms nervously look up from their puddle. The newts peer down from the perches and the plethodons finally stick their heads out of the cabinets. Isaac warbles irritably from the rafters as the knocks continue to come. Take defensive positions, she alerts the others. They'll surely leave when no one answers. But the human does not leave, much to the salamander's dismay, and eventually the handle begins to turn ever so slowly. Through the panels of wood, the onlooking creatures can see two feet on their doorstep. A woman's voice grumbles as she attempts to open the door, and the salamanders, unsure of what to do just yet, settle back into their hiding places. Finally, the wood gives in with a shuddering creak, and the human enters house number twelve. Looking around, she appears not to see any salamanders about, and begins to walk around each room. When she exits the entryway, Isaac comes out, instructing her peers to do the same. He instructs for a rock to be placed just so, for when the human comes back, they will have a plan in place. The salamanders take up new positions surrounding the area where they knew the human would come back to, and then they wait. The woman shuffles around, dragging her large case and creating a trail in the dust on the floor. She doesn't seem to notice the small disturbances around the place, and doesn't seem to mind the floorboard creaking under her feet or the leaking roof or the peeling flowered wallpaper revealing the yellowed walls. She appears perfectly content, making her way to the bedroom to drop her heavy luggage and the tattered excuse for bed, puffing up a large cloud that causes her to cough. She does indeed return to the foyer, having visited each room in the house with a small notepad, unaware of the eyes tracking her movements and the heavy stone placed precariously on the rafters in the ceiling. It had taken many of the strongest salamanders to get it up there, but Isaac knows it will serve its purpose well. Their movements are coordinated as the human woman steps underneath the waiting creatures and stands, turning to look to the main room once more. The signal is given and the stone is dropped. And as the human falls to the ground, salamanders swarm around her, squabbling and hissing at each other in an attempt at direction. Eventually, they manage to drag her to the stairs. With the combined willpower of the masses, they get her to tumble and gracefully into the cellar. After a moment of tension, Quiet panic begins to set in among the onlooking salamanders. They start to take in the reality of the situation, that a human has decided to move into their home where they have lived for so long now. They've taken all the precautions, made sure that their dwelling is as unlivable as possible for any person, and yet someone has taken a liking to it. The salamanders gather at the call of their leader and they anxiously discuss the woman in the cellar. Isaac calls the herd to order and begins to speak. There are many downsides to keeping a human. They would have to be fed. They would have to work around the settlement of creatures already living in the house. They would have to be different from other humans. But if they could work around it and possibly befriend her, there could be benefits to having a human in their midst. They are much bigger than us, one points out. It does not take them as long to lift a stone. And they're allowed in more buildings! Another garbles. Security in the open would be easier. Several chirped points come flying out, plenty of claims for both sides of the discussion. Savannah is against it. What if the human drives us away? This causes much unrest, as plethodons rise up to support and newts rise up against her. The squabbling continues for many minutes while Isaac listens to each point with interest. Finally, she calls the meeting to order and announces that she has reached her decision. The woman can stay if she is willing. The secret society of salamanders, for the first time in many years, will attempt an alliance with a human. If she will not cooperate, they will band together against her and drive her out of their home. Before a word can be said, Isaac calls the discussion closed and takes her leave as the salamanders begin to murmur and talk amongst themselves. The decision is not going to please everyone. Isaac knows this. But so is the life of a strong leader, making the difficult decisions and accepting the backlash that stems from it. It is a waiting game until the human wakes up, and it takes a while. During the time, several birds have perched themselves on the telephone wires outside of the window, and a few have even dared to sit on the fence just outside the house. They seem to have noticed the tense atmosphere surrounding the house, and perhaps even saw the human enter. Savannah and her crew quickly cover the windows with angry scowls, while the newts skitter outside and drive them off. The pesky winged things. Each day the salamanders become more infuriated with them as they find more and more of those beady black eyes peeping in their windows and following from the skies as they go outside. Small quarrels are starting to break out among the two species, and there is much talk of a revolt among the plethodons in particular. Isaac attempts to put the issue to the back of her mind for the time being in order to focus. Their quarrel isn't over, far from it, but she's got a far more important job to accomplish and although she has not confided in Manny about this idea, she can't help but consider that this human might give them an advantage in the growing conflict. When a groan comes from the cellar, the salamanders take clear offensive positions all around the room. The only sound is the shuffling and eventual creaking footsteps as the human comes back upstairs. She freezes when she reaches the top, blinking at all of the creatures that have surrounded her. Isaac steps forward, and the woman's confused gaze drifts to her. The first attempt at communication warbles out of her mouth, and she awaits the human's response. She does not expect the human to understand, but it seems, on a level that they may have made some ground. The woman slowly raises her hands in what Isaac knows is a surrendering position, and waits. The head newt glances around the room, signalling for the plathodons on the windowsill to fall back with the group. The woman watches as the salamanders form a semicircular group facing the wall, allowing the woman a clear space to move into. She does, and Isaac notes her intellect with interest. The woman's eyes flit around for a moment, but she resolves to simply sit on the dusty floor. There is a quite awkward silence as the salamanders stare at the woman and she stares back. Eventually, she speaks. The words she says are, "'Can you understand me?' But unfortunately, they cannot, so no one answers. The woman sighs, digging for something in her pocket. Upon finding nothing, she frowns, her eyes searching the room and landing on her fallen notepad. She attempts to stand, but the salamanders stir and warble anxiously, so she slowly sits again and lifts a finger to point at the notebook. Isaac instructs a few of the salamanders to fetch it for her, and they carry it over, hesitantly setting it at an arm's length before scurrying away. The woman reaches for it and clicks her pen, scribbling something down. A long moment passes before she finishes and turns the notebook for the salamanders to see. It's a crude drawing of a person, presumably the woman, holding out what looks like a fly to a significantly better drawn salamander. Isaac slowly steps forward, peering at it, and then the woman's face. Savannah begins to say something, but she hushes the plethodon with a glance. She tilts her head and the woman holds up one finger before writing something onto the paper. When she turns it around, Isaac scans the letters. Layla, the woman says, pointing at the word on a page and then herself. Isaac warbles the equivalent of the name to the other salamanders and then approaches Layla. She waits patiently for her to put the notebook back down before climbing atop it and placing a small hand on the drawing of a fly. She looks up to Layla, hoping that the communication might come across. Yeah, Layla nods. I can get you food. The salamanders know that word well and begin to murmur and mumble excitedly. Isaac steps back and orders that the salamanders disperse. She turns back to Layla and gestures around the room, then she puts her hand to her chest. The woman nods and picks up the notebook again. She slides her pen over it for a moment and then shows Isaac that she's drawn a house around the previous drawing. Isaac nods once before scurrying away, resolving to let the human make her way around. Savannah approaches her as soon as she returns to the rafters, unsurprisingly. "'You're making a mistake, Isaac,' she warns. "'We can't trust humans.'" Solace pipes up in agreement from behind her, rambling about some human that had almost stepped on him the other day. Isaac's gaze fell on Stephen, who is pointedly looking anywhere but towards the discussion that's happening. "'What do you think?' Isaac asks him, causing him to jump at being addressed. Isaac reiterates her question, ignoring Savannah's protests and waiting patiently for Stephen to respond. I think... Stephen looks back and forth between Savannah and Isaac nervously. Well, humans aren't all bad. Savannah lets out a frustrated noise, but Isaac holds up hand up. Stephen shifts his weight, glancing down at Layla, who is now making her way into the kitchen. I think we should try it, he decides, waiting for Isaac to respond. She does, but only with a smile, before dismissing the plethodons. It's quite awkward living with a new housemate, as anyone in that situation would know. Layla certainly did not expect to be sharing her residence when she moved into house number 12, and the salamanders have never allied with humans before. Not in many centuries, long before the reign of Isaac, but it works out well. Layla, the salamanders quickly discover, is very good at working with animals of their nature, She often comes back with plenty of food for them, and while Sebastian often complains, Steven is perfectly happy with their store-bought insects. After a few weeks, the salamanders and their human companion have developed a comfortable routine. Even Savannah is warming up to having Layla around. The residents have all developed a strategy of getting salamanders inside of buildings, and Steven is excited to peep out of the sleeve of a long overcoat to pick out a paint color for the kitchen. Having a human around makes it much easier to fix up an old house, patching holes and painting things in nicer colors. Of course, the outside is still plenty ragged, as the salamanders had insisted. It keeps everything quite inconspicuous, and so they simply focus on the inside. Layla secures the plethodon cabinets as they had begun to tilt down again and puts some more comfortable flooring in the rafters for the newts. All is well for the time being, as the residents settle comfortably into their roles, and as Layla gets more familiar with her companions, the other residents of Little Street begin to see her less and less. But what does it matter, anyway? Sometimes, new friends are all a person needs to feel quite simply... at home. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution-Share-Alike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written by J.R. Steele and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Cloudy Art. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.cart.co or follow us on social media at NeighborlyPod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate if you told a friend, Because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's magazine clipping is a cross-stitch pattern that says, Oh God! Oh God! We're all gonna die! Oh God, please save us! Thanks for listening. Come back soon.